I want us to focus this morning on John's Gospel, chapter 10, as we continue to focus upon the promises of God, more particularly this morning, the promise of eternal life, and all that that might mean to us, both in the here and now, and also in the future. So let's look at John's Gospel, chapter 10. We'll read the first 10 verses together. And Jesus is speaking here, of course, to his followers. He says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, he is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is God's word. They got it a blessing to his word this morning. Let's pray together, shall we? Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, what a joy it is again for us to gather in this manner. And as we do, Father, we are assured your presence here with us. How wonderful this is. That the very God who spoke the worlds into existence by the power of his word, is the very same God who is here now, as we, his children, gather in praise and prayer and around his word, your word, Father, longing to hear what you have to say. And we thank you, Father, that it is upon your heart this morning to Come and meet with us and communicate to us. We thank you, Father, this morning that you do have a word in season. All throughout the centuries since the birth of the Christian church, you have met with your own in all manner of ways, not least in the preaching and exposition of the word of God. So we ask that you might do just that again on this occasion. Don't overlook us, Lord. Don't pass us by. Equally, Father, might we be in that place to receive. So often we gather and we're distracted with 
thoughts of the week that is gone, may be preoccupied with thoughts of the week that is to come. But Lord, momentarily, at least in these moments, shut us in with yourself in such a manner that you, the Almighty God, you might have our attention. So we invite you, Father, in the name of Jesus, by your blessed Holy Spirit, the Parakletos, the, the Comforter, will you not be pleased to come? Come and minister to our hearts, our needs, our lives. We are needy people. We need that touch of God afresh. We would remember our brothers and sisters not here for many and varied reasons. And in their absence, in the name of Jesus, draw close to them. Touch them, we pray. And as you meet with us, Father, meet with them today, this morning. We pray, Lord, that as you meet our physical needs, emotional, mental needs, and there are many, but you are able, will you not also minister to our hearts? we might receive that word in season. Give us, we pray, ears to hear, hearts open to receive the word of God. And we ask these things all in the name of Jesus. Friends, as we join together to share once again the precious family prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We didn't read it, but in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 11, we have of one of Jesus' iconic I am statements. On this occasion, he says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. And the Good Shepherd is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Why? Why is he so willing? Well, friends, because the sheep are defenseless animals that need that protection. Back in the 1950s, I don't remember it because I wasn't even a twinkle in my mother's eye. But I understand that back in the 1950s, George Reeves was the first actor to be cast as Superman on television. Back then, television actors were not quite as elite as some seem to be today. And therefore, inevitably, in addition to their day job, it would not be unusual for them to perform community-focused services. People could meet them shake their hand, and of course, get an autograph or two. George Reeves was popular for guest appearances, but his fame included risks. Kids might kick him in the shins 
to see if he really was Superman. Kids might throw rocks at him to see if he really was immortal. It seemed that every time he appeared in public as Superman, someone wanted to put him to the test. In 1953, he faced a real-life danger when he appeared as Superman at a department store opening. A young fan who wanted to see if bullets could bounce off Superman's chest brought his dad's loaded Colt 45 and pointed it at him. Can you imagine? Reeves managed to talk him into putting the the gun down. He told the boy that Superman could survive the shot without being hurt, but when bullets bounced off his chest, they might hurt others, including himself. He continued to make public appearances, but never again did he dress up in his Superman costume. Like George Reeves, friends, even though other people may think that we are strong, the reality is that we none of us are bulletproof. All of us are vulnerable. All of us, like sheep, need protection. Today we're thinking especially about God's promise of eternal life. To do this, perhaps contrary to your expectations, I want to talk about the fact that Jesus is the gate. Now, of course, context is everything. So allow me to set the context. And in the previous chapter, in John chapter 9, Jesus had healed the man who was born blind. Because he was healed on the Sabbath, the Pharisees, remember, were angry and accused Jesus of wrongdoing. And we read in John 9, verses 35 through 40, Jesus heard that they, the Pharisees, had thrown the blind man out probably out of the synagogue or the temple. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I might believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment... I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? In Christ, we have been given everything necessary for eternal life. That is to say, for abundant life, or for life in all of its fullness. The question this morning, my dear friends, is, do we see this, or are we blind too? In Christ, we have everything necessary for eternal life. I say this because, firstly, 
Jesus is the gate of salvation. Jesus himself said in John chapter 10 verse 9a, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. For abundant life, friends, there needs to be an understanding of salvation. Abundant life must begin here. I think that it is true to say that the fear of death can be a prison. In July of 1944, the United States forces attacked Japanese forces on the Pacific island of Guam. The fighting was fierce and there were heavy casualties on both sides. During the battle, one Japanese man named Sochiyoki was separated from the rest of his men. He hid in underground caves coming out only at night that he might eat venomous snakes and toads and rats and eels. The war ended when Japan surrendered a year later on the 15th of August 1945. But there was no way for Shotchi to know that. He believed that the war was still on. And so he spent the next 27 years in hiding, afraid to come out, terrified of capture, living on rats and toads. He was eventually found by some hunters on the 24th of January 1972. Imagine, friends, living 27 years of your life in hiding when you really didn't need to. Imagine living 27 years of your life alone and afraid and wondering every day if you might finally be caught fearing something that fundamentally no longer existed. What a terrible, terrible place. But I put it to you, there are many people like that today. Afraid. And I put it to you further. That there are Christians like this today. Afraid. In John 11.25 we have another of Jesus' iconic I am statements. When he declared, remember, to Martha. Saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Brethren, we do not need to be afraid of death. Because Jesus has declared, the one in whom we have placed our hope, our faith, our trust, that He is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, He says, will live even though He dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Why is it then do I come across many professing Christians, should I say, who seem to be bound by the fear of death when they do not need to be bound brethren we do not need to be afraid of death for in and through Jesus the sting of death has been removed says the apostle Paul we are reconciled with God war is in a spiritual perspective over 
However, as bad as it is to fear something that you should not, many people today have put their hope in things that are not able to save. They perhaps no longer fear what they should not, but equally they no longer fear what they should. They place their trust in good works. Their trust in perhaps religion to save them. The sheep pen was a place of safety, it seems to me. It had only one door. There was one way for the sheep to get in and one way for the sheep to get out. It was through this exclusive opening, this exclusive door. And we see in Scripture that Jesus says that He is the gate. Notice, friends, the definite article. The gate. He did not say that He was a gate. He did not say that He was one of many ways to get in. He said that He was the gate. He claims, Jesus claims, to be the only door by which the sheep may make their way into the fold. If the sheep don't enter through that door, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the gate, they stay outside until evening, so to speak. Similarly, Jesus is the one and only door by which we must enter, or else forever remain outside the kingdom of God. Our good works, my friends, whilst it is commendable to endeavor to be good, will not, cannot save us. Because Jesus is the gate. Our religious efforts, commendable though they might be, that we might be faithfully religious in the way that we conduct our lives, they also will not, cannot save us. Jesus is the only way. In Matthew seven thirteen through 14, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Referring, of course, to himself. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter was preaching, saying, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now then, I realize, brethren, of course, that claiming Jesus is the only way of salvation is highly unpopular these days. Indeed, some will consider it to be downright intolerant of me. Such intolerance, it is suggested, is the worst thing that one can be in our politically correct culture of the day. It seems to me that tolerance alone can only be the supreme virtue in a society which has lost the will and the means to distinguish from right and wrong, from truth and error. And if tolerance is our chief value, friends, then sincerity comes to be our chief requisite. Now, of course, sincerity is a fine word. We all aspire to be sincere. No one wants to be a hypocrite. However, friends, sincerity alone is not much of a virtue, for no one can be sincere, for, for no one 
For one can be sincere in their belief, but be sincerely wrong. The people who bought tickets for the voyage on the Titanic, I'm sure were sincerely convinced that the ship was unsinkable. But their sincerity did not save them from death. Sincerity must be grounded in truth. The way of salvation is not through human achievement, but through divine accomplishment. It is not what we do, my friends. It is what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus is the gate. And He is the only way unto salvation. And if the world wants to look upon me and criticize me for being intolerant, then so be it, friends. But I will remain standing upon the Word of God. There is no other way unto heaven given to men by which we must be saved except calling upon the name of Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a servant. But more than that, he humbled himself even unto death, even death on a cross, that we might live. He took our sin. He took the penalty of death that we deserve. He took our judgment upon Himself that we might live. He is the gate. He is the only way to salvation. And eternal life, my friends, begins here. It does not begin when I lay in a coffin in state in front of this, uh, this lectern when I die at my funeral service. Eternal life begins here. Today, on the 29th of January 2017, are we in the sheep pen? Are we in the fold? Are we in Christ by entry through Him, the gate? That's where eternal life begins. Jesus is the gate of salvation. Secondly, Jesus is the gate of security. Jesus said, my sheep will come in and go out. I like that. They come in and go out. For abundant life, there must not only be the assurance of salvation in Christ, but also the trust in ongoing safety. I might be safe right now, but what if something happens tomorrow? True life, abundant life, life in all of its fullness, requires a measure of security. How sad it is that many professing Christians don't feel secure in Christ. Why is that? When Jesus says, I am the gate. If you come into the fold, my fold, through me, you will come in and you will go out. There's an element of security. There are many people today, and you'll know them, I'm sure. Might, maybe you're numbered amongst them who, who, are, who are living in constant fear. Fear about the nuclear threat. It seemed to be on the horizon again. It went away for a wee while, didn't it? But now all of a sudden there's a, a, a dictator in North Korea with, it seems, his finger on some kind of button. Threatening, it seems. Nowadays, people are in fear of the ozone layer. People are in fear of, perhaps, the threat of, of uh, Islamic State. The threat of climate change. 
People are in fear of disease or of cancer. People are in fear. The key here, Jesus is endeavoring to communicate, is safety. True living, abundant life, eternal life, friends, means that we must have a measure of safety in which to live. This safety is found in Christ. This is not to say, of course, that we're not exposed to the relative dangers of the world. We certainly are. But it is to say that our security remains in Christ. Christ in you, says the Apostle Paul, the hope of glory. And if Christ dwelleth in me by his Holy Spirit, I dwelleth in Christ by God's grace through faith. And therein, my friends, lies my security. My security cannot be found in what I see with the the temporal eye, the naked eye. These things, says the Apostle Paul, are temporal. They are passing. There's no security in that. Our security in Christ is what we see with the eye of faith. Christians, my friend, who find themselves feeling insecure in constant fear, I'm afraid, I have to say, are are seeing things with with the eye of the flesh. There's no security here. We need to begin to see with the eye of faith. Why Christ says, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Take your eye, your focus, your perspective away from what you see with the the naked eye. And there is security in Christ. Jesus is our gate. He is our protector. Full life, it seems to me, abundant life requires freedom. That's communicated here. That's why the Apostle Paul said, it is for freedom that Christ has set me free. It's amazing just how many Christians seek to, to bind, bind new, new Christians. But we're, we're in Christ and we're free. We, we come in, he says, we go out. Let's reflect upon this for a moment. To go in but not out means imprisonment, doesn't it? To go out but not in means banishment. Both are necessary, it seems to me, for true living, for abundant life. Without Christ, we are all like a paralyzed man. We are are chained to our sinful nature and death. We have no hope of parole at all. But in and through Christ, we have been set free. The chains that once bound us have been broken and we are free. No wonder the Apostle Paul claimed in in his letter to the first century church in Rome, what a wretched man I am, he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, he says, through Christ. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit of life, notice, has set me free from the law of sin and death. Brethren, we don't need to be bound by the affairs of man. We don't need to be bound by by the attitudes of the world. Christ has set us free. This is eternal life. And it begins now. It is entering this life by God's grace through faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It begins now in salvation. And then it begins now in security. I am safe. I am secure. No one, says the Apostle, no one can snatch me from his hand. I am safe. I am secure 
in the Father's hands. And though the world buffet me, though the world accuse me, I am safe in the Father's hands. There is security here in this eternal life. And finally, Jesus speaks about him as the gate of sufficiency. Jesus said, my sheep will find pasture. I love that. They come in by me, the gate. And they will come in and go out. There's liberty, there's freedom. And they find pasture. So many today are wandering about looking for pasture. Jesus said that he came so that we don't just have life per se, but that we have life in all of its fullness. Christianity, friends, is not just pie in the sky when we die, though it is, hallelujah, but it very much is the abundant of God's life in the here and now. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? That does not mean that we will not that we will get everything that we want, of course. But it does mean, however, that we will we will get everything that we need. One of my favorite Psalms, I'm sure, is yours also. Is Psalm twenty three. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Isn't it something? The Lord is my Shepherd, he's dug Atherton the shepherd. How do you know that Atherton? Because I've entered in by God's grace through faith. I've entered in through the gate, the gate, Jesus Christ. I put my hope and my faith and my trust in him alone for my salvation. Not in my good deeds, my very best is but like filthy rags in his sight. Not in my religion, my religion will not save me. It doesn't matter how faithful I might be. I put my faith in Jesus and I am saved by God's grace through faith. Through that faith, I've entered into the gate and I've come in, I go out. There is liberty, there is freedom in my relationship with Jesus. And uh, there's sufficiency. I have all that I need. He makes me, it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I love that, don't you? Anybody, anybody in your life at the moment? Trying to encourage you to lie down in green pastures. I've got a lot of people in my life at the moment who are trying to get me up on my feet and I'm busy. But my Savior says, my shepherd says, oh Doug, Doug, you, you need to lie down in green pastures. I love that. You need to, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He restores, he guides me in paths of righteousness. Why are you here this morning? Just a thought, why are you here? I'm going off on a tangent here. Forgive me. Why are you here? If you're in Christ, then surely you are here that he might restore your soul. That he might refresh the inner being that feels so parched. And bruised and battered because of the, the affairs of the world these last seven days. Isn't it wonderful? God wants to restore your soul. He wants to refresh your spirit. He wants to fill you with everything good this morning. And banish from your life everything that encroaches. Everything that, that, that robs you of your joy and your peace. That's why you're here, isn't it? Why, why else would you bother coming? 
Not to listen to me, please, but to hear the Holy Spirit. Draw alongside and refresh your socks off. This is eternal life. This is life in its fullness. This is life that is abundant. It is life because He is the gate of sufficiency. Jesus is my all-sufficiency. Some of you will have on your shelves a little book by Philip Keller. It's a beautiful book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. If you haven't got it, you must get it. You must read it. Keller says in that book that in order for sheep to lie down, four things are required. Listen, four things are required. Firstly, those sheep have to be full. Hungry sheep stay on their feet searching for another mouthful of food. But praise God this morning, Jesus is the bread of life. He feeds the deepest hunger in our souls. Praise God this morning, Jesus is Jehovah Jireh, the God who meets our needs. We're full, aren't we? We're full of Him. And so we lie down in green pastures. The second thing a sheep must want, must have to lie down, is they must be unafraid. They will not lie down if they're fearful. The least suspicion of an enemy, and they stand ready to flee. But praise God this morning, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We know that in Him, we do not need to be afraid even of man's ultimate enemy, death. Jesus is Jehovah Nissi. He is our banner. And we come into His banqueting house even this morning. And His banner over us is love. Thirdly, sheep must be content if they are to lie down. If flies or fleas are bothering them, then they'll stay standing. They must be comfortable before they'll lie down. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Even in our doubts, my friends, we can trust Him because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who is our healer. I am the Lord, He says, who healeth thee. And sometimes, my friends, even though we seek healing of body, uh, the thorns remain. But my friends, be assured, in the midst of the thorns, His promise is, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Fourthly, if sheep are to lie down, there must be harmony within the flock. There must be harmony within the flock. If there is friction over the butting order amongst the sheep, so to speak, then they simply cannot relax. They simply cannot lie down. But Jesus, my friends, is the vine. If we remain in Him, we will bear much fruit. Jesus is Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace. Don't look to Doug Atherton for your peace. It is not here. Don't look to your deacons, your elders for peace. It is not there. Look unto Jesus. He is Shalom. He is our peace. Who has broken down every wall. He is 
our pain. Cast all your care on him. For he cares for you. He is our peace. Ah, the sheep come into the pasture fold. They come through the gate. They come and go as they wish. There's freedom here, you see. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're not here bound by tradition or formality or denominationalism or any particular theological dot or I. We are here because there's freedom in Jesus. And there is sufficiency. There is sufficiency. Everything that I need, I find in Christ. Every aspiration within my heart is found in Him. All in Him. No offense, brethren, but I'm not looking to you for my sufficiency. (laughs) Lovely though you are. Beautiful though you are for the most part. Very well dressed at least. And very well behaved this morning, it has to be said. But I'm not looking to you for my sufficiency. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm looking to Jesus. And I'm responding to his invitation. Come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and pleasant. My burden is light. Hallelujah. In his book I shall not want Robert Ketchum tells about a Sunday school teacher who once asked her group of children if any of them could quote the entire 23rd Psalm. A little four-year-old girl was among those who raised her hand excitedly. I can miss! I can miss! I can miss! Well, the school Sunday school teacher was a little skeptical whether this four-year-old child could quote the entire 23rd Psalm. So she tried to to pass her over, but she wasn't being passed. I can miss! I can miss! I can miss! So eventually, just to keep the peace, she invited this four-year-old lassie to come forward to quote the 23rd Psalm. And she stood in front of the lectern, in front of her entire class, and she bowed. And she said this, He's my shepherd! That's all I want! And she bowed. And she sat down. Now she may not have quoted it all verbatim and correctly. But she got the heart of the psalm, didn't she? She knew that he, Jesus, was her shepherd. And Jesus was there for all she needed. All she needed. Oh, friends, some of us have been on the Christian road for years. And this truth sometimes inexplicably eludes us, doesn't it? How bizarre is that? Jesus is my shepherd. I come to him through he the gate and find life. 
I come, I go. There's freedom here. There's security here. And there's sufficiency here. He is all that I want. My friends, the promise of eternal life is this. It's a promise unto salvation that begins today. Hallelujah. It is a promise of security that continues from today and through this life into eternity. Hallelujah. And it's a promise of sufficiency. He is all I need. Shakespeare in his play Macbeth revealed his philosophy of life. If you know Macbeth, you'll know that his philosophy of life was uh, life was but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then heard of no more. Life is like a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. My friends, this is not life. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. Life, my friends, is not found nor summed up in any philosophy. It is found in a person, and that person is Jesus. Jesus, my friends, is the life and the light of man. He is our salvation. He is our security. He is our sufficiency. Will you turn to Jesus? Maybe for the first time. Perhaps salvation is knocking on the door of this place. And you know in your heart the Holy Spirit is prompting that you might receive Him as your own. Oh, my friend, yield to Jesus. It'll be the best decision you ever make. Yield to Him. Because He loves you and laid down His life for you. Yield to Him. Oh, yes, you must surrender your all, acknowledging your need. But my friends, as you surrender, He comes and fills you with all the fullness of the Godhead in Christ. He gives you His salvation. He gives you his security. He gives you his sufficiency. What about today? And you, my Christian brother and sister in Christ, inexplicably perhaps were, were struggling in the flesh. We're buffeted by the world and the flesh and the devil. We've turned our eyes away from him. We have deflected and looked at other things, other people. People will disappoint. Pastor will disappoint. Elders, deacons, they'll disappoint. The Baptist Union will disappoint. We'll disappoint. Look unto Jesus. Jesus is your shepherd. And he is all you need. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. This wonderful promise of eternal life. And whilst we aspire for it in the future, it is so much here for us now. Forgive us, Father, if we're not living this eternal, abundant, full life now. Give us the faith to avail ourselves of it. For those that need Jesus for the first time. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, may they swing their heart's door open. Might salvation come to this place. In the wonderful name of Jesus we ask. Amen.